The Crossman Conversation brought to you today by Community Legal Services, Maynard Cooper, Frontier Partners, by Crossmark Services, and Roto Speaks. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. The Crossman Conversation is hosted by John Crossman. John's heart is to see our community of leaders unite around what we have in common. John will be joined by political leaders, religious leaders, as well as activists making a difference in our nation. Here is your host for the Crossman Conversation, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation. Uh, hey, Mike. Uh, hey, my friend. Hey, bud. Like, uh, before we get started, I just, I just want to tell you a quick story. Okay, are you okay with that? <laughs> I'm ready for it. You know that like uh, I'm a really big guy with history and veterans. I do know that. That's a big deal to me. It is. Big deal. And you know that um, I'm really big on education, right? Mm-hmm. Education, education. You're everywhere in education. No, you know, I mean, it's a big yeah. thing. I'm, things I'm passionate about, right? So I met this guy. Look at this and this. Vice Admiral in the U.S. Navy. That is so cool. And there's not much higher than that, right? That's, no. <laughs> that's, that's, that's up there, right? And then I come to find out the guy retires from the Navy, then becomes the superintendent of the public school system for Los Angeles. Ever heard of it? Now that, yeah, I've, I've heard of that place. I mean, yeah. you think about like those two, I just mentioned, yeah. boom, boom. And then the guy becomes a trustee for Bethune-Cookman University which you know I'm really yeah, partial. He's checking off all those no, no, boxes I, for you, man, I mean, right there. T- is this guy qualified yeah, he's, or whatever? he's there. That guy, Vice Admiral Brewer, is our guest today. That's who's here. Vice Admiral Brewer, thank you for being here. Thank you, John. Um, it's a pleasure for, uh, for inviting me, and I really look forward to talking to you guys. Well, listen, first off, I wanted to ask you about the Navy, okay? And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, so I, had a que- I have a question for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If I gave you a one-time time machine trip you get to go and come back and as a naval commander leader admiral would you want to go back and lead the u.s navy with the barbary pirates in the early 1800s hey hang on that's option one option two you're the captain of the uss monitor in the civil war or option three you're the commander or admiral of the U.S. forces in the Pacific against the Japanese. I'll take the Pacific. You take the Pacific. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why, would, why would that work? Well, I thought that was very consequential in terms of the, the, the Navy that uh, I grew up in because that's the Navy that defined me. Really? Right. Right. Because we learned so many lessons from that war mm-hmm. in terms of how we basically developed our co- combat and strategies and uh, et cetera. So uh, I was off the coast of Iran. Wow. In uh, 1979, during the Iranian crisis, and a lot of the things that we learned from from those wars, we applied there. Uh, unfortunately, that particular mission did not go well, and we mm-hmm. can talk a little bit about that because it was tried. They tried to run the war from the White House. You can't run wars from the White House. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, when Colin Powell became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and then he told Bush, he says, "Look, if we're going to do Desert Storm." You can't run from the White House. Mm-hmm. It has to be me and Schwarzkopf. And so we learned some lessons from that. But in essence, you know, there, there are so many lessons throughout history that we've learned in terms of warfare. And uh, that was one of them. And so the guys that were doing that, that's, you know, the generation before you, right? Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that when you were a young officer, were the old officers World War II guys? Is it, did you work with those kind of guys or what was that? Some like? of them were still around. Really? Yeah, some of them were still around because I joined the Navy in 1970. 
Mm-hmm. And so some of them were, were kind of winding down their careers from uh, at that point. Uh, you think 44 to 70 is 26 years. And right. so that's about the average for an admiral in the United States uh, Navy. And so, yeah, some of those guys were, were, were winding down. So give me, like, look, I'm... I'm uh... Uh, I think I've been on a on a yacht once. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a. I've been on a cruise one time. You know, like I don't know all about it. So uh, tell me about like you know you're out there and you're on a ship and just give me a flavor for a scary time or a hard time. Can you give me a sense of what it was like to be in some of those situations you were in? Well, I think I mean, let me give you the scariest situation. We okay. lost more ships in a typhoon than we did in a battle in World War II. Okay, so the, when you're at sea, you're really at the mercy of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, my ships were two football fields long. My first ship, USS Bristol County. My second ship, the USS Mount Whitney, was three football fields long. Wow! But the ocean will flip you. Okay, <laughs> that's the most terrifying thing <laughs> okay. I've ever heard. The ocean will flip you. One of the most terrifying experiences I had was coming out of San Diego. We had a, a, a real bad. We, we call it typhoons in, in on the West Coast. And we had a bad storm, borderline typhoon, and I was taking on water. We were just rocking and what we call, you know, pitching and rolling. And so, in essence, I told the squadron commander, I said, look, I'm going to turn around and go with the seas because I'm taking on too much damage. Hmm. And so I turned it around. And so those are some of the scariest times. Yeah, combat is scary. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Combat is scary when you have missiles and bullets and stuff flying at you. But the ocean, it's another animal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think about in the in the Bible when I talk about like referencing, you know, uh, shipwrecks, right? And in my mind, I, I, I would think like, how many shipwrecks have there been? And then as I've researched shipwrecks, there's a lot of shipwrecks. Like, yes, like yes. there's millions of shipwrecks. Yes, like yes. like that's a mm-hmm. that's a big scary thing. Right. right. And it's funny, like I think about the analogy of life. When you said the ocean will flip you, I guess life will flip you. Like understanding, it doesn't matter how big the ship is, it could be. Yes, Knocked it can. Out. It can. And it, it, I mean, the ocean is something else. I mean, when you look at the uh, what I consider to be the weight of water, mm-hmm. uh, water is, is really something, you know, when you're out there at sea. And so that's we have to you have to respect it. And mm-hmm. that's the real key. And that's why I write to this day. I always watch the weather, regardless of where I am. <laughs> Even Especially here in Florida. So when you're on vacation, you're paying attention. I'm paying attention to the weather because that's hardwired in you. Yes, hardwired into me. Absolutely, because yeah. you got to know. Yeah, I had. That's what I told my parents. You have to harden this house for hurricanes. So, so they they harden the house. I've got family members who uh, they're not uh, farmers, but they they were raised farmers, and they're weather people. Like they cut, they talk about the weather constantly. And so I guess it's from your background, like what, what connects you to that to be about that, right? Yes, so that, absolutely. So absolutely. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you choose Navy? Why, why Navy? Well, actually, the Navy chose me because I, uh, I transferred from Howard University to Prairie A&M University in Texas. And it was during the Johnson administration, 1968. The Navy had never had a Naval ROTC unit at a historically black college or university. Wow. And this was 1968. Wow. And so we, uh, they... Johnson, being from Texas, put it at Prairie View. Mm. And, of course, he was on his way out. And so when I got to uh, Prairie View, uh, transferred into Prairie View, I had to do military service or or, get, or go into the draft. So the Navy was starting there. I said, well, let me try the Navy. And uh, so I went through Naval ROTC, graduated in 1970, <laughs> first uh, African-American <clears throat> graduating class out of Naval ROTC. 
and the rest is history. There were 13 of us. There were, the, in 1944, there were the golden 13, the first 13 black officers in the United States Navy. And so, you know, history was repeating itself. And, and they didn't think we were going to make it. There were 256 black officers in the United States Navy in 1970 hmm. out of 72,000. Wow. Wow. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Yeah. Okay. And there were no black admirals, only five black captains, which is the same as colonel mm-hmm. in the Army. And so we came in in a situation, to be I'll be brutally honest with you, mm-hmm. that was not very accommodating to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we had to persevere. And we did. And of the, the naval ROTC is both Navy and Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And so we had three Marines and 10 Navy. Three Marines did their initial tours and got out. The Marine Corps was not, it was just as bad at, in terms of black officers. And then the Navy, the, the 10 Naval officers, eight of us stayed on active duty for 20 years or more. Wow. Of the eight, six, think about this percentage, six rose to Navy captain or higher, which wow. is a colonel, wow. which was a record. Wow, it's a big deal. Of, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and the, the, so I was the admiral, and then after me, two more admirals came. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you were, that's a real part of U.S. history, my friend. Yeah, it is. It's historical. It yeah. is historical. Well, people say that, um, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen was a real trigger point to the civil rights movement because they were officers and they came back in World War II, and that sort of sparked a lot of the things that ended up happening in the 50s and 60s. And so... That must have been another evolution of what you were a part of. That's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, and, and, and even though he was not a part of the original Tuskegee Airmen, Chappie James, General mm-hmm. Chappie James, was my father's classmate at oh, really? Tuskegee. No way. Yes. Uh, you know, I, you know, and I met his son, who was a Lieutenant General Chappie James, Dan, Daniel uh, James, not Chappie, but Dan, Daniel James. And so he and I were on active duty at the same time. So history is kind of repeating itself. He was a three-star and I was a three-star when we were both on active duty at the same time during Operation Iraqi Freedom. And so when I had the military sealant command, which was 120 logistics ships, and we, we, we basically supplied the logistics for Operation Iraqi Freedom. And so history kind of repeated itself in that regard. So it's, it's very interesting how, how that happened. I, uh, uh, I had a really cool experience um, years ago. I was at an event at the... Um, uh, African-American History Museum in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And they had a Buffalo soldier there. And this guy um, was, you know, heard uh, Roosevelt speak about, you know, the only fear of fear himself, joined the U.S. Army, and they sent him to Buffalo Soldiers Training School. So I bought a Buffalo Soldier's hat, and he signed it for me. It's in my office downstairs. It's yeah, great, guys. I spoke with both that group uh, several, a few years ago. That's awesome. It's awesome. Um, Vice Mark, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back. And I want to ask you... Just let me keep asking you questions. Is that okay? That's good. good. All right. We're going to take a quick break uh, here on the Crossman Conversation. Crossmark Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you 
That's crossmarkservices.com. Managing a team that has a lack of accountability and effective communication can be frustrating. Bill Roto-Rooter can help you build a cohesive team and a collaborative work environment. As a retired commander of the Navy's premier training system and research development organization, Roto has the experience to help you build trust and a high-performing team as you navigate high-pressure situations. To schedule a complimentary call with Roto, go to rotospeaks.com and complete the form and put the Crossman conversation in the message field. Community Legal Services is a civil legal aid organization providing no-cost legal help to the underserved. They call it Legal Aid for All. Their attorneys assist with legal issues related to family law, housing, domestic violence, veterans benefits, and much more. Community Legal Services is a community-supported program. To learn more and help support the mission, visit clsmf.org. That's clsmf.org. Community Legal Services. Legal Aid for all. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full-service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally who serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to day-to-day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit MaynardCooper.com. Are you willing to serve communities in crisis around the world to people who are impoverished, oppressed, and persecuted? Frontier Partners International offers mission opportunities in areas least served to meet the needs of the helpless, hapless, and hopeless, and is currently serving earthquake survivors in Syria. Share the love and joy of Christ and give the gift of a hope-filled future to someone in desperate need. Learn more at FrontierPartners.org. That's FrontierPartners.org. Once again, here is John Crossman. And we're back here at the Crossman Conversation with my guest, Vice Admiral David Brewer, a guy that I greatly admire. It's, I, when we're talking in my head, because you remember, I'm a history guy. Like, you're a military guy, I'm a history guy. I have a sense of awe um, because I feel like I'm talking to history. Like, that's how, I, that's how I feel about you. That's how strongly I feel about you and your role. Do you, do you get that in your own head? Do you, do you understand that people like me look at you that way, and do you understand that? Or does that seem weird? Well, it's kind of interesting because, yeah, I, we realize we're historical. I think that's kind of been embedded in us, especially coming out of that naval ROTC situation that we were in. It was historical. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of inherent, if you will, in, in the way we react. Uh, and, yes, we understand that. But with that, you know, we're also human beings. Right. And we don't, you know, I always say that uh, I don't think that you have, you can't be too much into yourself. Right. Because you see that all of the time. I, I have this philosophy about leadership called ladder builders versus ladder climbers. Ladder climbers are people who are basically concerned about climbing the ladder of success and they don't care who they walk over to get up that ladder. Mm-hmm. Ladder builders, on the hand, other hand, are people who basically measure their success by the success that they create in others. In other words, they build these strong steps as they climb that ladder of success. And inevitably, the ladder climber is going to slip. And when that ladder climber slips, there are no strong steps to catch him or her as they fall down that ladder. Ladder builders also slip 
but they also have people who who they whom they've helped who will make sure that they don't make mistakes. Let me give you an example. In my career, I had a situation on a ship where I, one of my, in fact, my, my number two in command was destroying the morale on my ship. Mm. And so we have something called, we call them gods, the E-9s, the Master Chief Petty Officers. Each commander has a Master Chief Petty Officer. But because I had such a strong relationship with my Chief Petty Officers and my Petty Officers, and I was really getting them promoted and doing all kinds of great things for them, they didn't feel uncomfortable coming to me and saying, look, Captain, this man is destroying your ship. You need to do something about that. And I did. I fired him. And the morale of my ship went sky high. If I was an ego guy, I wouldn't have listened to him. Right. If I was a ladder climb, I wouldn't have cared. Right. No, I'm I'm all about me. Right. I'm not about those sailors on my ship. I'm, I'm about me. And you'd be surprised how many people are like that. Not necessarily in the Navy because we try to teach that. We teach leadership in a different way. But when you look outside and you look at the number of, uh, I said, the higher you climb, the harder you fall. The look at the number of people throughout history who have gotten to these very high peak levels in terms of their own careers, et cetera. And all of a sudden they've had these horrible falls. We had that happen with the E-9 on one of my ships. He was just messing over sailors. He sold a sailor, one of our sailors, a lemon car. Came to me and the captain, this is when I was XO, came to me and the captain said, look, I sold a guy a car. Hey, it, it was as is. I'm not going to do anything about it. We said, well, you, you know, this is one of our sales. Why don't you treat him right? He says, no, I'm not going to do it. He got all the way up to E9, went and got in trouble, called back to us and said, can you help me? We said, no, because you were a ladder climber. And guess what happened to him? He went from E9 to E3 in a bad conduct discharge at 30 years of service. Wow. Wow. Well, listen, I, I'm going to quote you in the future if you're okay with that. Yeah. I love that. I've never heard that said before. Ladder builders versus ladder climbers. And when you said that, what happened, what happened in my head was I visualize a ladder climber going all by themselves up this ladder and it's, it gets really rickety at the top, right? Because you know, there's nothing in sport. And I think, man, I want to be like Bison Maru. I want to be a ladder builder and have 50 ladders with all kinds of people up and down, and right, I'm holding right. it for some, and right, maybe I'm climbing right. a little bit, but, right, they, right. but if I fall, they'll catch me because oh, they're around me. And you're That's... going to make mistakes. I tell people all the time, you're going to make mistakes. I don't care what kind of a leader you are. Right. If, you, if, you, if, you don't, if you're that kind of leader where somebody can't clo- come in and close the door with you and say, look, you're screwing up, mm-hmm. and you just blow that off, mm-hmm. or more importantly, you don't care about those people, and you don't do anything to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't measure your success by the success of, of your people. I measure my success when I had my group command. Mm-hmm. I had 17 ships as, as, a, as a two-star admiral, amphibious group three. Mm-hmm. Eight of my 17 commanders made admiral. Sheepers, creepers. In fact, one of them will probably be coming here in June, okay? When, when, and, and, and it's a she. I can't announce it right now, <laughs> but she made it all the way to four stars. Well, guess what? I, I consider that to be a mark on my record as what I did to help her. That is awesome. And by the way, I'd love to meet her. <laughs> that could happen. You will. You will. I, I, that is so exciting and awesome. That's such a great, and you know, it's funny, Mike, when I, when I was walking in, you know, with by Summer Brewer and I was like, how are you doing? He goes, I'm busy. 
like what do you got going on? And he rattled off like seven things. I mean, you you still you're still doing it. You're still building these other. You're still building ladders for other people. Yes, but there's another piece of the philosophy. Mm. Um, my mother, I came home. I retired from the Navy. I'm an only child. My father died. He was 85, and my mother was doing okay. She didn't stop teaching until she was 83. And so I came home to take care of her, and I got her to almost 102. Okay. Now, what did I learn from my mother? Never, ever retire. Mm. She worked full-time as a school teacher here in Orlando until she was 83 years old. She stayed active. You have to stay active. If you, The minute you sit down, you die. Listen, I attended your mother's funeral, and that blew my mind. It yes. blew my yes. mind. She mm-hmm. impacted people all the way through, right. all the way through. I want to ask you this quick question, because I just want your comment on this, because, again, I, in my worldview. So when I was a kid, and I was born in, in 71, right? So mm-hmm. when I was becoming aware, um, we didn't talk about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about Vietnam veterans. I mean, Vietnam veterans, when I was a boy, were young. You know, They were in their 30s, right? You did not acknowledge that. It was a great thing for me after Desert Storm and other activities that America kind of reconciled that. And it was nice to see that it was healing, right? But I was reflecting on this recently and I was thinking, you know, people look at the Vietnam War as a you know bad part of U.S. history. But I think that there's one thing I really, really great that came out of that era. And it was an impact of blacks and whites working together in the military. And I think that helped advance us as a society with civil rights. Um, do, do you think that, and so you, you came in in that same era. Do you sense that? Do you feel that, 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 that push actually benefited the interaction of, of people working together? Yeah, absolutely. Because the sixties, you know, people talk about, Oh, how bad it is now. I say, you didn't experience the sixties. <laughs> in 1962, Mega Evers was killed. The field, the field, uh, NAACP, chief out of Mississippi in 62. Mm-hmm. 63, Kennedy is assassinated. Mm-hmm. 65, Malcolm X is assassinated. 68, King is assassinated. Three months later, Robert F. Kennedy is assassinated. I said, you didn't experience hell until you went through the 60s. Oh, I can't imagine. And all of this was driven, in many cases, by civil rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had to go through what I call the crucible of we went through a crucible in order to get to the point where we reached and in, in eventually reached uh, after the after the sixties and getting the civil rights bill passed, the voting rights acts passed. But the reaction to that was brutal. Okay, so six and, and on top of all of that, you had Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Okay, on top of all that, you had Vietnam, and it took all of that to get black and white sailors, soldiers, airmen, marines. To realize, look, we're all in this together. Right. We're all human beings. It's bonding. I, right. Yeah, yeah. That's why we only had 256 black officers in the Navy in 1970. Mm-hmm. Okay. It took that to that foundation to push us forward where I could become a vice admiral of the United States Navy. There were no black admirals when I joined the Navy. Mm. Okay. And it took that. It took it took all of that for, for to, to, to to that foundation, if you will. And for us to go through that crucible, you have to go through stuff in order to build up the, the muscle in order to change, in order to become better. And that's what this nation has been through. 
And so I tell people all the time, I said, yeah, that was a tough era. And God bless those Vietnam veterans because a lot of them are still suffering. Mm. They're suffering from all of the, the chemicals and all of the crap that, that, that they went through over there. And then, of course, the PTSD is, is, is horrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a lot of friends who are Vietnam vets, and most of them are 100% disabled. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, let me, uh, last thing, we're going to wrap just a second, but I have one last question I want. It's a big one, but I want a short answer, but you can do it because you're vice admiral. You can do anything in my mind. If I filled this whole room and this big old studio area with good guys, good guys, when you make this some good guys, white, younger, let's say 30 year old CEOs, and they're good dudes and they're trying to build their companies and they really want to understand all this diversity stuff. What would you want them to know? to make sure that they're doing things in the right way and the pathway to making sure that if they have young black superstars, that those young black employees have a great experience, not like what you had to go through when you first came in your experience. What advice would you give them? What do they need to know? Well, I think the first thing I'm going to tell them is that this is an experiment, America. Hmm. It's an experiment. And this experiment is going to boil down to one thing. How well do we manage this vast, diverse population of Americans? Because at the end of the day, our adversaries don't see black, they don't see white, they don't see yellow. They see Americans. And you, my friend, must do everything you possibly can to make sure that every child, every man, woman, and child in this country succeeds. Look, do, when you see that person walk in, you don't see black, you don't see white, you don't see yellow. I see a fellow American. Amen. Amen. Vice Admiral Brewer, thank you for being a patriot and an American, uh, a Christian, and a servant that's building ladders for me and people all over this country. Thank you for what you're doing. You are a blessing. Thank you. This has been the Crossman Conversation. And as always, support your local HBCU. This has been Crossman Conversation. Produced by Acrossman Career Builders, Mark Radio Production.